Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I am speaking with the team from Counterweight and I have with me Helen Pluckrose, Harriet Terrell, Izzy Marson, Kevin, and I'm sorry Kevin, I don't know your last name, <laughs> and uh, Jennifer Friend. Hi everyone, thanks for coming on. Hi babe. Hi. Thank you for having us. Hi. So you guys are all on counterweight and i guess helen this was kind of your sort of your brainchild or something you or something that grew up organically around you i should say and you guys are coming up on one year so if you want to maybe give a bit of the background of how this all came about and what you've been doing and then we can just kind of take it from there sure i mean the, the way that we started was really with lots of people emailing me hundreds of people a day with um in crisis with um their workplace mostly but perhaps their university or their child's school suddenly implementing policies and training programs that were really critical social justice based um to, to quite an, an extreme extent which um you know was requiring people to pretend to be racist or pretend to experience certain kinds of racism to have certain ideas about gender ideology and it was um it was quite an authoritarian um move and people were emailing me to, to say how can i how can i push back at this how can i um how can I argue against it? How can I decline to go to this meeting, talk to my employer, try to get this to stop? And I was trying to help people individually and I was sending them some of the same information and it was just unmanageable. So Kevin, Kevin Lowe here, he um, built the Discord server and I started to pour people into it. And um, Kevin built up the channels um, around it so that people could um, connect with each other. And then um, uh, Carrie, who had a background in the Citizens Advice Bureau, started to build resource banks and um, advice pathways around what people needed. So that was how we, we started. And then we developed further because as we realized the level of um, education and information that people needed, we needed the content team, which um, is Harriet and Izzy. We needed the peer support team, which is led by Jen. And we needed um, more sort of academic resources broken down into accessible information, which is essentially me so that that that's the general story of us <laughs> okay um so i guess I'll start going down the row a little bit and so izzy and harriet if you don't mind speaking about the content and what you guys have been doing and what's been created and then we can kind of just move down the road yeah perfect yeah so i was actually one of the panicked people that came <laughs> to helen um when my employer uh, implemented mandatory unconscious bias training and um, yeah, and Helen was kind enough to put me in touch with the caseworking team and Carrie was one of the people that helped me. And uh, so my background is actually in copywriting content creation. So after I had counterweight support and was able to work through the issue of um, the mandatory unconscious bias training in my business and convince them to not make it mandatory for myself, I uh, volunteered to join the counterweight team and um, offered my content sort of creation services. And Izzy, who was my close friend, um, is a brilliant writer and a philosophy student and I knew that she would be incredibly useful in the organisation as well so I employed her help 
and we started by creating sort of accessible videos. So the goal was, we know that CSJ uh, theory is just full of jargon. It's really inaccessible. And we wanted to help people to understand all of these kind of crazy terms that they were coming across in their businesses as these new training courses were introduced. So we wanted to create videos that broke down all of the complexity of CSJ in a way that was understandable and a way that um, yeah people could use to push back in their organizations. Um, so that's how we began. And then as you all know, Obeyed, uh, the content team started to expand and we've now got a whole team of really brilliant people who help us out. Um, help. We've got writers, researchers, uh, we've got podcasters, we've got videographers, designers, and they're all people from across the political spectrum. So as you know, as well, we're a nonpartisan group and we celebrate all different viewpoints. So we're really grateful to have all these different people bringing their expertise to the team. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Great. And Izzy, what do you have to, so like, I know like, cause, cause we do a little bit of stuff. Like I found you guys some stuff, um, some background info. So, so like Harriet had mentioned, like you're doing some writing. So like, what kind of stuff have you been writing on? Or are you doing more editing that kind of, or? Yeah, so I'm I'm the editor, which originally like kind of happened by default, right? It was just it was just Harriet and I at the beginning, um, and we were doing I was writing the script with Harriet, we we're doing it together, the videos, and then people kind of our content team grew. Um, people started giving articles in, so I started editing all of them. I haven't written that much other than the script. I think I wrote like what like one piece for Counterweight, but hopefully I'm gonna try and do more of that now that now that uni's finished and I have more time, I'm gonna try and write more. Um, but yeah, mainly I'm the editor. That's mainly what I do. But so we're trying to we're launching like an educational platform. That's what that's what we hope to do. It's like in the super early stages at the moment. But I'm working with uh, James, who's like a brilliant. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Yeah, James. James on it. We're doing a critical thinking course. This is the very first thing that we're trying to do because we didn't want to be we didn't want to be like just anti-woke right even though like inevitably that's a lot of what we do because we're an organization that helps people push back against critical social justice so to a certain extent like we can't help but be doing that but we wanted to also help people understand liberal values and understand critical thinking so they don't have to take what we say at face value right so that's what the critical thinking course is we might go through how to spot fallacies how to reason for yourself how to understand whether arguments are valid or sound um, all that kind of stuff, how to test your own beliefs, right? Because we have a tendency to, yeah, we have a, well, confirmation bias, right? We have a tendency to just not question our own beliefs in the same ways that we do to other people. And that's certainly true, even for people that are against identity politics that are on the left, you know, they still need to criticize their own views and think about them a little bit more. So hopefully we just want to help people do that generally, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's the, ne the next thing that we're going to do, I think. Great. Thanks. And Kev, uh, Kevin, so Helen mentioned you started up the Discord server. So I guess at the start, you had your hands full trying to make sure Helen doesn't forget her password. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I built the Discord uh, and then I, I'm still in charge of moderating that. Uh, we, we're trying to make sure it remains welcoming and tolerant to, to any different viewpoints who come onto it and, our main, our main focus with the Discord is just making sure that it remains tolerant and doesn't become too biased and too set in one direction. Um, soon after the Discord, I, I also built our website, and I'm uh, in charge of maintaining and updating that. 
I also oversee many of our projects to ensure that we keep a liberal humanist equilibrium that, that encourages the free exchange of ideas. I uh, keep up to date with development stateside. So Helen can focus more on the UK, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. I've helped write uh, some ethical policies for our employers, our employers who have contacted us. I, um, I also just do a lot of the boring stuff behind the scenes that keeps the systems running and stuff. Pretty okay. basic. That I know a lot about. I spent plenty of time in IT. Um, and he does indeed spend a lot of time um, rescuing me from technological disasters <laughs> that, um, that that shouldn't really happen to a competent adult in the 21st century. Well, yeah, I do a lot of tech support for, for anybody who needs it within the organization and outside of it often as well. I got a question for you about the Discord server because um, Helen mentioned you created the communities and things. So, are you like, I mean, you know, initially you'll go in and you'll create some basic communities, but then did you start creating stuff as you saw a need or were people asking for stuff? Let's say there was a group of 20 people from New York city and they said, look, can we get a subgroup just for New York city to create these topics? Or like, again, how did that grow? Well, I, I started off with a, a set of basic channels to try to cover the needs that I, I kind of foresaw but uh, people do, people in the Discord did request many channels. That's pretty common in, in Discords, but you don't want to add too many because then you end up with a, a channel for every little thing that could possibly come up and you end up with not very much discussion. Um, so it's good to, to kind of keep it, to not let it extend too far. But we, we have, I think we have like maybe 30 or 40 channels now, maybe more than that. But yeah, I just kind of, uh, I, I try to go back and, and make revisions as we see a need for them. Okay. Um, on that, because I've been in a few groups, especially online, and like Discord's a little different, but like, you know, let's say like Facebook groups, and they, they start off all nice and good, and then they just devolve. And I mean, how, like if you've got like 30 channels, I mean, how, how do you moderate that to make sure they stay on topic? Like, I mean, and again, you know, it's kind of weird to say, okay, you want to push liberal values, but then you want to keep everyone on topic. That's, you know, it just kind of seems like contra indicative to. Yeah. I don't, I don't really uh, care too much about them staying on content as far as staying on topic, as far as the topic of the channel, I'm more worried about uh, people being uncivil and uh, unfair to people. I, I the main concern is civility. I don't want people fighting on this server. I don't want people uh, hostile with each other. I don't really, we're pretty lax as far as, as uh, staying on topic and stuff like that goes. But it is a challenge. It's, it's easy for a Discord server to kind of devolve into something that we definitely wouldn't want. And that's that hasn't really been a challenge for us. Um, the people in the Discord stay pretty civil. It's actually been amazing how civil the Discord has remained over the, the year or so that it's been up. It, it surprises me a lot, and I keep expecting things to get worse and, and harder to, to maintain, but it's been really great so far. All right, great, thanks. 
Jennifer, I'm, uh, I'm amazed. At, sorry, I'm, oh. I'm amazed at how civil people have have been. Uh, you know, Ke Kevin has done a lot of preparing for in case people broke into warring tribal camps and what we do to try and mediate and stop that. And they they have generally haven't done it. That's good. Sorry. Oh but no carry problem. On. <laughs> and finally, Jennifer, um, Helen had mentioned that you were doing peer support, and we'd spoken a little bit uh, a little while ago, and you were talking about. Um, basically like counseling and therapy. So if you want to maybe talk a bit about what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So I came to counterweight initially as a client myself in quite a panic about what my employer was doing. A particularly virulent form of CRT happened at my workplace. And I reached out to Helen and received support through counterweight and as more and more people were reaching out to Counterweight asking for help and advice on what to do when critical social justice overwhelmed their workplace or school, Counterweight started noticing that people were experiencing some pretty intense emotional distress. And so I started providing one-on-one -on -one listening sessions to people in the form of, of peer support using what I've experienced in my workplace, as well as my mental health background. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And so the one-on-one -on -one sessions afford people an opportunity to share their thoughts and their feelings without any fear of repercussions, without fear of being judged or being deemed racist. And I've also, I have been incredibly lucky to be able to pull together a group of very dedicated volunteers from the US and Canada and the UK to provide individual listening sessions because we have such a high demand and to also provide listening groups. So listening groups are awesome. Um, we have five of them running. When we posted that we were doing listening groups, we received about a hundred signups and it's an opportunity for people in the counterweight community to get together and get to know each other and share their experiences in their school place or work and to give and receive support and form community. So it's been amazing. I have been meeting, honestly, the coolest people I've ever met in my life. The people who reach out to counterweight are, they tend to be independent thinkers. They tend to be very conscientious ethical people who are very concerned with the approach that's being taken to diversity, inclusion, and equity. And um, they're just lovely people. And even though I'm very concerned about the culture wars, the counterweight clients have really restored my faith in humanity. They're just lovely. And it's a wonderful experience. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, okay. On this, because and I think I asked you this last time we spoke, but, Helen, like you, you do more of the work. I know you, you do the academic stuff, but the counterweight also helps people push back like from it encroaching into the workplace. But how does that go hand in hand with what Jennifer does? Well, quite often when people come to us and they're having a problem and they want to speak to their employer, they want to write to their employer to have a meeting they're so anxious they're so um their heads are, are so full 
that getting out, I, I'm asking them, if you give me a list of the um, issues that you're having problems with and a list of your objections, I can help you to, you know, to frame that into the most sort of knowledgeable and principled letter that we can do that will be effective and will minimize the risk to you but if they are in a really intense state of anxiety actually sort of ordering their thoughts is a problem so i have had to um refer people to jen and her team before that they've sort of helped them to think through to to gain some perspective to just generally feel heard and 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 think uh, if you if you're not allowed to speak it becomes very difficult to think and people often just have this horrible sense that something is wrong and it's it's really unethical and it's really oppressive but ha actually articulating their their liberal objection to it is quite difficult so sorting out those intuitions those feelings those fears first um, then enables them to come back to me or to kevin and for us to help them to write um, down, first of all, what precisely what the problem is, precisely what they want to argue about it. We can also practice with them by Zoom. Um, often I, I try advise people to avoid meetings if they can and keep things in writing as much as possible because of the tendency to waffle on the part of um, employers who don't really know what they're signing up for. So trying to get things in in writing is a, a good way to go about it. But this this all kind of works together. So we, we have the, the content team who are producing um, not only sort of accessible guides to how the problem works, but common mistakes that people can make when they're addressing them, um, most effective ways to go about addressing them, how to understand and, and speak about the problem. Then I, I've been writing some walkthroughs. Um, how do you assess the problem? Are you actually having a CSJ problem? What kind of problem is it? What level is it? What kind of, what proportion a proportionate response do you need and with all these resources together and Jen sort of helping them to keep their um keep, keep themselves um sort of calm and steady then it, it all it all kind of works together to um to make people feel supported on a number of levels okay no because one other thing that because I mean, I've, I've just been following this because I've had nothing else to do but sit online. Um, which I guess there's a lot of other things I could be doing. But anyways, uh, but one of the things, it's, it's like it's being opposed at work. And I mean, some of the things I've read recently, it, it was students who were saying, well, I don't, you know, I don't agree with this, but I can't speak out because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be called a racist or I'm going to be called a sexist or a homophobe or whatever, the whole litany of things, right? And that reminded me a lot of, um, you know, living a double life. And, you know, I, I can compare it to religion. I mean, it was, you know, for about six years, I was an apostate, but I didn't tell anyone, you know, so like it, it reminded me a lot of that. And I mean, are you seeing stuff like that or is that just, are those rare cases? So yeah. we're, we're seeing we're seeing quite a lot of um, of things that are very much like that. In fact, we, we've had a case which is exactly 
like that. We've um, had a secular liberal humanist from a conservative Muslim background uh, move to a Western country and say um, to his employer, yes, I shall now be able to actually be a liberal humanist and I can be for gender equality and LGBT equality and, and generally liberal universalism. And it's great to be in a country that actually supports that and then say, no, that that's not the equity, diversity and inclusion <laughs> that we want from you. That's um, your your being Islamophobic and you uh, need to, um, to, to start taking on these ideas. <laughs> So I'm um, dramatizing a little, but he really was quite bewildered because he'd he'd been trying to be a liberal humanist and he hadn't really been able to in his religious community. And then he was trying to be a liberal humanist in a strongly um, critical social justice environment and he wasn't allowed to speak there either. So it's very, very similar. And I, I think that that is where people, where there's a culture of fear, where there's a culture where people are really finding it difficult to um to speak that that without um landing themselves in trouble either sort of by mistake or or by by actually just getting fed up and speaking their mind this is where we have the problem and this is what we're we're trying to address and we're trying to make it easier for people because people we are apostates there is strong strong parallels with the idea of heresy um, yeah, a blasphemy and apostasy. We're, I think the, the best way to describe a lot of the diversity training is, is uniformity training. And it does match up very similarly to what I studied in the um, late medieval period, the catechism that, um, that religious believes that Christians, Catholics would be taught to go through. They'd be asked a series of questions. They'd have to give the right answers. Then they would have to recite the right creed and they'd need to do this um, at regular intervals. And if they didn't, then they would have to, um, you know, explain themselves. They would have to repent. They would have to <laughs> do various things to restore the equilibrium. And I, I think this is human nature and I think we're seeing it again and we need to recognize it. Okay, thanks. Kevin, I wanted to ask you something, because um, you said you kind of keep an eye on the U.S. while Helen pays more attention to the U UK. When I compare Canada to the U.S., um, like in the education system, let's just say, it's more from a post-colonial lens. You know, uh, even to some degree in some of the diversity trainings with the employers and stuff like that, you'll have a lot of employers who will, um, you know, before large events, they'll make a land acknowledgement statement. And I mean, now recently I've seen something called a body acknowledgement statement, but that was really bizarre. Um, so what are the differences you notice between the U.S. and the U.K. when this stuff comes about? Uh, I think the, the main difference between the U.S. and the U.K. is that the U.S. is an at-will or I think almost all states are at will states in the U.S. So an employer can can basically let you go for no reason. So we've we've found that it's it's a lot harder to fight all of this in the U.S. than it is in the U.K. and outside of the U.S. in general. Because I mean, even if even if an employee wins, say, and, and gets whatever their goal is in the U.S., they can be fired right after that for no reason. You know, so it's 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 a lot more difficult. Um, I think employees are a lot more afraid of being fired in the U.S. than they are outside of the U.S. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, there. It's it's our de- our job is definitely harder in the U.S. than it is outside the U.S. And I'm and I'm more worried about the U.S. than outside of the U.S. as far as uh, CSJ goes. Canada might be an exception, but generally the the way employers are set up in the U.S. makes our job a good amount harder. The pushback to it in a play like. What you said, like you feel a little bit more optimistic about the UK as opposed to the US, I would kind of agree with you there. Just because of the sprawl of how many institutions I've lately been seeing in the US that are going along this path, and you know, like the ACLU, as far as I'm concerned, is lost. You know, SPLC, same thing. Um, I don't want to like, you know seeing some of the things coming out of the military recently, like that's, it's not a good thing, you know, whereas, and then if you have the Academy, like if this is, you know, coming out of the Academy a lot. So do, do you see like, you know, the, like you said, the, the employee might win a case or it might, it might win a small battle, but end up being fired for something else. But that's because, you know, the culture of the company that he's working at is gone, you know, in the CSJ route. The pushback effect, you like, like it's got to be a lot more holistic. Like you have to, you have to take a look at the academy. You have to take a look at some of these institutions. You have to take a look. I mean, it's, it's good to help people push back at their work or at their school, but you know, if you don't take care of the stuff in the background, like how do you see that going? On the on a wider um, political level, if we're looking at changing institutions changing laws that's um something that that is is largely beyond our scope our aim really is to create a groundswell whereas a lot of other organizations are sort of working top down and so they're they're taking something big like um education or universities or um policing or or something like this and they're they're trying to they're aiming campaigns at it now we we do that um to an extent as well if we're aware of legislation as um jen um recently with david bernstein did um an initiative in maryland where um uh healthcare workers were being expected to undergo unconscious bias training before they could have their licenses renewed we can get involved in these campaigns we got involved with one about problems in humanitarian aid so we can address these big institutions to a certain extent but the the counterweight method is much more of a at a bottom up approach so we will take the individual and we will take an organization and that one individual in that one organization if we can have a victory there and then we can have another victory and then another victory and then we're kind of doing a patchwork thing where we can join people together we can create a community on the discord server we can collect people in the same areas of expertise in the same regions and we can build these small victories into a larger growth while producing a greater degree of of knowledge and understanding via the content um, production, via the discord, the conversations that we're having, the new education platform that we're producing to produce a lot of people 
who are on the ground dealing with this. They are average people. They're not, um, you know, big um, influencers. They're just people in their lives pushing back at it as it arises because they understand how it works, because they have backup, because they have support. And we think these kind of uh, approaches can work cooperatively as we sort of push upwards with our sort of grassroots groundswell approach. Those organisations that are operating from a top down, we will meet in the middle and we can refer people back and forth to each other. So I I think it's, um, it's quite an effective way of approaching the the problem from different angles and it also makes a difference to to an individual's life and I think a lot of us as Jen says and as I say we find that particularly satisfying we get to know people on an individual level we know what their problem is and when we've succeeded in helping them have their their problem resolved then there's there's a, a celebration and as as Kevin says, yes, there's a there is a big difference. I mean, Harriet essentially won her case by being a very polite and persistent pain in the ass for about eight months. And we can't really encourage Americans to make a nuisance of themselves even very politely without great caution because of um, what Kevin describes. There's sort of no cause firing policies there's only so much you can make a nuisance of yourself even if you're really polite so it's very much a matter of of taking in the individual situation the the consequences that are likely if they if they make a, a a complaint if they try and address the issue and then trying to tailor a solution to their needs which could range anything from actually addressing the problem helping them to find an organization that will provide legal advice just completely solving the issue to giving them backup and support and letting them know that they're not alone okay thanks um jen last time we'd spoken you'd mentioned that there was i think you'd said virginia where a few people from counterweight kind of started up uh, like a meetup group or something like that Oh, that was Maryland. Maryland. Okay. Now, are you hoping for more things like that to happen? And I mean, I'm not saying forcing it, but just kind of more seeing like that to happen organically. So people do have that local support. So whereas, Uh, let's say, you know, you're going to your school's PTA meeting or something and you want some some backup with you or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see that happen. I would love to see more coalitions form, um, particularly in terms of protecting um, various institutions and professions, the um, medical and mental health profession are really under assault right now from critical social justice. And um, in Maryland, for example, the um, bill unfortunately did pass, which requires all health professionals with licensure. So that means doctors, nurses, clinical social workers, occupational therapists, that all of them have to undergo annual unconscious bias training in order to maintain licensure. And in my opinion, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I think there's more in store for people maintaining professional licenses. that they that critical social justice is going to intrude further upon that 
And so I think that forming coalitions to push back against that in a constructive, principled way is going to become very essential. Okay, thanks. Um, kind of on that, so Harriet Nissi, like, would you ever at any point start thinking of creating stuff to help people? Like, okay, if you want to get organized, if you want to, you know, get people at your office or people, you know, parents at your school or people in your neighborhood, you know, get them together. Like, are you, would you ever consider creating like, you know, maybe just a little guidebook or just something like that? Yeah, definitely. So we've already created uh, videos that direct people to organizations that will help them to connect with mm -hmm. other people. So for example, we just did one on um, the increasing uh, implementation of CSJ ideology in schools and how parents can protect their children. And in that, we talked about how people could organize and connect with other parents. There's a few other organizations who are doing that fantastically. I know FAIR have got um, a great system in place and Parents Depending Education as well. But so we already do direct people to the right places so that they can do that. But we are also um, creating the Counterweight Handbook over the next sort of few months. And in that, we're going to give people more information about how they can connect with uh, other people in communities, uh, how they can actually push back against their individual employers and, and make a real change within their, their individual businesses and universities, and how to do so in a way that's principled and... and um, it's still coming from a balanced place. You know, I think it's so easy to sway too far in the other direction with this stuff. So it's kind of one of the other things that we want to help people to do is not get dragged off um, in, into a, a space they don't want to be in. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's part of the, the, the sort of what we're calling the academic um, project, but it's, um, it's essentially breaking things down to, to how it's impacting real life. So we, we have four books planned, but the handbook is the one that is um, is coming soonest, and, and that will that's been um, accepted. There are already people wanting to translate it, and we we haven't finished with where it it's in note form at the moment. So that that's going to have a very it is like a triage kit. It'll explain to people what is um, critical social justice, how to tell what level of problem you're having, how to push back at it proportionately. So Izzy and Harriet will be contributing those chapters on um, how to um, approach things in a, in a persistent, polite, consistent way, how to avoid common mistakes, how to not fall into a sort of counter um authoritarianism in your activism against um these kinds of things in the next section we, we're going to have um useful sort of resources for sample letters and um to understand um different ways in which you can resist because people tend to think that if you're going to resist this you either um you know, throw yourself on the bullet, uh, the grenade, and then sort of risk getting fired and not being able to feed and house your family, or you shut up. But no, there are le there are levels, and there are ways. So we're we're going to look at the at that at three different approaches you can take addressing a problem. Kevin is going to contribute a um, chapter on on how to write policies um, in order to, for employers uh, that can keep that can protect their employees against ideological conformity and allow freedom of belief and speech while still 
consistently opposing um, racist discrimination. Jen is going to contribute a chapter of just how to survive this psychologically and the, the, the kinds of problems that people are experiencing and, um, and, and how you can, how you can, can deal with it and, and, and come through it with, by finding community, by talking to people. And uh, well, she, she certainly knows a lot more about what she's going to put in that chapter than, than I do, but I think that'll be an important one. And we'll have a couple of academic-ish um, longer chapters at the end where I, I will break down the theories, the key theories, how they work. And we'll also adapt a, a mammoth document um, written by Carrie on um, all the, the studies into unconscious bias training and the implicit association test and um, why <laughs> it's not replicating, why it doesn't work, how it can be counterproductive. So people who want to have a deeper dive and can actually get a grasp will have those more detailed chapters but people who are just immediately facing a problem will have much simpler shorter chapters that answer the question shit I'm in trouble what do I do now and we'll have you know sample letters and and organize useful organizations so it would be a very practical um, kind of book. That's our first project. We have other plans to um, produce a book on um, on how to address hotish hot topic issues from with liberal reasoning. That will largely involve Kevin and and me um, looking at um, how to how to be consistently liberal. Essentially, when you're dealing with something like gender ideology, or if you're dealing with um, race, different ways of, of addressing racism. We also want to look at what is happening, what people are actually experiencing within mental health and within um, therapy. So what, what are their experiences on the ground? And we want to look at what's happening with artists. We're hearing repeatedly from artists of all kinds about the ways in which they are being constrained, what this is doing to art and culture generally and what they want to do about it. So I think these are all quite exciting, um, but accessible books that people will want to to read. And um, yeah, and I shall also hopefully be um, contributing a bit to the educational channel for those people who are masochistic and want to understand things um, in a bit more detail about um, various critical theories. Kind of on this, so, you're seeing a lot of like, okay, there's legislation coming out in a lot of states, um, you know, and some people are opposing it as anti-CRT. And then you're, you know, there's videos of parents going up as well. And then you have the, you know, keeping it kind of with the religious theme, the apologist for CRT or the apologist for CSJ saying, no, that's not CRT. What are you talking about? Like, I like when I speak to people about this, I just kind of equate it to them. I say, you know what? In the same way that intelligent design was smuggling Christianity into the curriculum, what's going on with the diversity and what's going on, you know, no, that's not CRT a la Delgado or anything like that, but that is, you know, smuggling CRT into the curriculum under another guise. Like, I kind of equate it to that. Like, are you... Do you see that helping you or do you see that making things getting worse for you, like all those legislations and things like that coming out? 
They're, they're just so vague. That that's the the problem. If if people, you know, if if school districts um, have a responsibility to teach children in a balanced way and not indoctrinate them in any one um, ideology, this is certainly a good thing. But when we've got this really kind of vague um, legislation that that can be used, I mean, we see this in the UK. In the UK, there's a requirement for schools to have 15 minutes of collective worship of a broadly Christian nature. Now, that's um, something the British Humanist Association and I um, have have been trying to, to get out of schools for a long time. But the schools have a great deal of power in how they implement that. So a lot of them will just do some nice stuff about, um, you know, loving your, your brother and, um, and being kind to people. And they'll call this um, broadly Christian. And um, there won't be anything, it'll be secular, it'll be humanist. Whereas other schools, if they have a teacher who is a very committed Christian, as unfortunately my daughter's school did, then you get um, kids being told about how they're going to go to hell if they don't believe the right things and um, bringing home lovely pictures of lakes of of blood, which um, apparently... um, was an excellent way to celebrate um, Passover. So yeah, that's that's what worries me with the with the US legislation is is that there is such a vagueness there that I think it, it leaves schools. I mean, what does it mean by you you cannot promote these ideas? Does this mean you cannot say these ideas, or does it mean you can't say that they're true? So, um, but I I should. Um, probably will let one of the the Yanks um, speak to this in a bit more depth. (laughs) Yeah, I have something to say about that. So um, (laughs) it's a really thorny issue in the U.S. because in in the schools K through 12, CRT isn't being presented as a theory. Well, here's one way of viewing our Um, nation and our problems and our history. It's being presented as fact and it's not, um, it's not being presented um, in a sort of standalone sectioned off way so that you know, oh, this is, this is the time where we're teaching critical race theory. It's being actually woven through the curriculum and so deeply embedded in the curriculum that it becomes quite difficult to tease out. So I don't know that Bill's banning it will be effective um, anyhow because of how it's being um, woven through. For example, um, sometimes in English class, the content will be CRT-based. They'll use it to teach you know, just concepts in English, like how to identify um, a subject of a sentence, but it'll be CRT information. So I, I think it's really challenging to address it when it's woven through in that way. And then there's also attempts being made in the United States to disguise CRT. They're calling it by different names in the schools, and then they're saying, oh, we're not doing CRT. So if there's a bill saying you can't do CRT, setting aside the concerns about um, banning things and the infringement on free speech, 
they are, there's some very committed activists who then um, just shape shift and call it something else and package it differently while it is indeed the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of when I brought up the intelligent design, that's kind of what I was getting at because intelligent design, they packaged it. So it, it didn't mention God. It, you know, it mentioned a designer. It kind of strayed away from like, christian language per se but it was you know it was evangelical christians pushing it through right so mm -hmm. it's it's the same thing i see with this so when when people come back and say well that's not crt it's like okay we can get really technical about it and i think helen that's where your you know your academic stuff would come in it's like okay no robin d'angelo's technically whiteness studies it's not critical race theory but you know they're, they're the same thing um it's but that's what i was talking about like it's it's being smuggled in in other ways. So there's a Martin Bailey thing going on where um, sometimes people will claim that any criticism that, that all critical race theory is, is um, a historically literate look at racism in, in the US. Mm -hmm. And that that isn't what it is. So I'm I'm going to make a short video um, in the next few days in which I'm going to uh, cite a lot of the main tenets of critical race theory, which um, is the branch that really existed from 1970 to about 2000. And then when we're what we're looking at at the moment is better known as critical social justice approaches to anti-racism which isn't very catchy, so that's um, not what people are using. I think, there's, I think there's a problem with people objecting to the term CRT um, because it, it's, it's a, a catch-all. I, I think if we were going to be completely accurate, we should call them critical theories of race, and then that would cover the whole lot and we could be very clear that this isn't nobody, well, some people will be, but no liberal, reasonable person is going to be criticizing a historical approach at American history, which includes slavery and Jim Crow and pointing out that those things were, were extremely racially oppressive. That isn't generally what parents are complaining about. What And, and we've just seen in the UK, the Telegraph has just... Um, uh, published something about some plan to start teaching uh, elementary school children uh, that they have white privilege, if they're white, obviously, and, and introducing these these ideas. And these really aren't, they're, they're not kind of sneaked in in the same way that intelligent design is, because that really is the language. They're just saying, when we're, we're talking about white privilege and whiteness and white fragility and how everybody's racist and how um, everybody else is oppressed, we're just talking about racism and you just don't want us to talk about racism. So that's, um, it's really much more um, overt, which does mean you can get at it more easily. But um, if we're having this confusion about what the language is and what it is that you're actually trying to ban... Um, then it, it gets extremely messy. You know, certainly, yes, if, if you want to say we, we don't indoctrinate children into Marxist, conservative, libertarian, critical social justice, Christianity, Islam, or any um, ideology, that's, that's a good um, all-round um, policy that, that I think schools should adopt. But um, what we're seeing... 
at the moment with the the conversation around CRT is people just aren't even able to discuss it properly because nobody will agree on definitions and nobody will agree who understands what they're talking about. <laughs> okay. This actually, uh, Harry, you might be able to get onto this because this is something I've said. When you speak or if you listen to a scientist talk, you know, watch a video from Carl Sagan or Richard Dawkins talking about biology. If they go back to jargon, then they'll do their best to explain it in plain English because they want it broadly understood by the people they're speaking to. Whereas if you listen to, you know, and there's a couple of people that have been doing it recently, like debates about CRT and it's from people who say they're proponents of it. Whatever. Um, all they have is jargon. They can never really stop to explain it in plain language. I mean, the closest I've seen, and that was in a video from Kendi, it's like, you know, a racist system is a system that, you know, delivers racist results or something like that. And I was just like, okay, that's, that's a nonsense answer. So like, what do you, like, do you get pushback on stuff and like people are like, okay, you're not explaining this properly. And then they just give you a jargon laid explanation for why you're wrong or like, how do you get around explaining some of this jargon to people? Because some of it is, you know, when you try to break it down to plain and simple terms, it sounds a little crazy. Yeah. I'm, oh, sorry. We yeah, don't. We don't it. actually get that much. I haven't really noticed people pushing back on us in that way. We don't tend to get like a lot of people that are maybe really into political theory or proper advocates of it on the academic side, like coming at us or saying anything. Mm -hmm. I haven't noticed it very much in terms of our content. Um, and also, a lot of our content isn't specifically about the academic side. So some of it is like we kind of have like varying degrees of difficulty. Um, varying degrees of like you know the degree to which it's academic or it's just simple but because a lot of what we're doing is targeted at the average person in a way it doesn't matter whether or not we're talking about critical race theory the point is what's the content right so whatever theory it is that the business or institution says they're implementing that's not the issue it's what's the content of it is it racist are they um, invoking stereotypes about people because of their race or whatever it is if that's what they're doing most people agree like that's wrong because right? a lot of the problem is People assume because it's social justice or because it's termed social justice, um, it's something they all want to get behind. But as soon as you kind of say to people, oh, look, this is what this looks like, whereas this is what like most people would want to get behind, which is maybe the Martin Luther King idea of judge people by the, you know, the content of their character, not the color of their skin. People get behind it. It doesn't really matter whether or not we've exactly described critical race theory correctly or not. Because it's not it's not the point of issue. Right. It's not the thing people are having issues with in the UK, especially in their businesses and stuff like that okay kev like how about from yourself like because you'd mentioned the employment and stuff so when you're seeing some of the pushback like are you i know you're saying the discord server and everything's okay but are people posting this is what i'm getting as pushback or like you know like i've seen in other groups where you know the, whatever topic of the group is, they'll say, well, I posted this somewhere else. And then this is the response I got. Like, are you getting things like that where people are, you know, I had this problem show up at work where they're introducing this diversity training and this is how I push back. And this was the responses I got. Like, are you seeing stuff like that? Um, a little bit. I think that, the, I think that a lot of people right now are, um, don't really understand why 
some of the indoctrination that's coming out of critical race theory and critical theory are bad. They don't, they don't really get the problem with it. They just think that it's, it's basically civil rights era, anti-racism and that everybody should be behind it. Um, I see a lot of that. I think, I think most people, especially just normal people who aren't like Twitter activists or whatever, don't really, don't really understand what it is that they're advocating when they're, when they're pushing the CSJ stuff on employees or just in general. Well, that was a really good answer. And, and that, that is what we see as well. We'll hear, you know, one of our, our clients will object to um, being required to read Robin DiAngelo saying, um, I don't agree that all white people are racist. And the employer will reply, but this book doesn't claim anything like that. You're straw manning it. Now, that's the central thesis of the book. <laughs> and we, we had someone as well. They were promoting Ibram X. Kendi all over the place. And when the employer said, I, I think it's possible to just be not racist. I don't think you can, you have to be either racist or anti-racist. You can just be not racist. The employer said, well, of course you can. And nobody's selling anything different. And you're, you're promoting Ibram X. Kendi. There's um, a real disconnect where employers um, are just pushing the books that are popular and they're assuming, as Jen said, that it really is just a, that, you know, the next um, stage of let's treat everybody equally, recognise that racism still exists and recognise that we need to continue opposing it in a, in a liberal way and not recognising that it's making these really huge theoretical and unevidenced claims. Um, you'd mentioned the arts and because I've, I've spoken to a few actors and a couple of musicians, but I don't know if you read this and I, I saw it this morning and I'm going to mispronounce her name is uh, Chimamanda Ngozi or something like that. Um, you know, I mean, her, I'll just read like the last chapter. Like she did it in three. She called, she said it's like obscenity in three parts, and it's what she says here. It's just it, it, like, to me, it's perfect. It's like in certain young people today, like these two from my writing workshop, I notice what I find increasingly troubling: a cold-blooded grasping, a hunger to take and take and take, but never give, a massive sense of entitlement, and an inability to show gratitude, and an ease with dishonesty and pretension, pretension and selfishness. I mean, she goes on, but. It was basically about how if she spoke out against, she said, I think at one point she said a trans woman is a trans woman and she got grief for that. I mean, I, I know you're no stranger to that, uh, Helen, um, but she got grief for that. And at the same time, the same people who were giving her grief were also giving her grief for not praising their work. You know, at one side of their mouth, they're saying you're a horrible human being, blah, 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 blah. And next you're saying, well, why aren't you praising my work? And she was talking about stuff like that. And again, she was talking about the arts and it's, you know, I've read a couple articles now where authors are going back and changing their works because they're worried about what was in their work. Like I was joking about this a while ago. I said, you know, buy all your stuff in hard book, hardback, because if they, if they want, they're going to change your Kindle versions. And now I'm like, okay, <laughs> it could happen. Yeah, I mean, this is until very recently, they were uh, the critical social justice activists were promoting Adichie's work. Um, we should all be feminists. Mm 
-hmm. And um, then when she revealed that her feminism is gender critical, um, she suddenly fell out of, of favour. And, and this is what happens. And this is something I think we're going to see a, a, an increasing conflict over because the, the two big things at the moment are critical race theory and trans ideology. Um, there's an attempt, particularly in the US, to try and, and do the two things together. And that doesn't actually work very well because a lot of African-Americans are more likely to be um, religious of uh, Christian or Muslim faith, which means they're less likely to accept queer theory ideas of gender and sexuality. And trying to push these things um, together, it was a few years ago when I, I did some research into this showing that, um, that I, I think African-Americans were twice as likely to vote against same-sex marriage as white Americans were. So there's a, there's, there's a conflict there where they're trying, if you're trying to make everybody be intersectional. And it's a problem that, that you know, liberals, we, we don't have to face this. If somebody is a marginalised group by their race, but they're also being homophobic, we don't have to, we don't have a conflict. We can just say nobody should be racist against you and you shouldn't actually be homophobic <laughs> against this person either. And these two things can exist at the same time because they're both illiberal. But if we're going with the, the, the race and the, the queer theory and we're trying to combine them into intersectionality, what we end up with is a mess. Yeah, there was a, there's a case recently in Canada that touches on this and it was a Muslim family and they're, they were opposed to their child getting puberty blockers. Because basically in a, in a couple of provinces, if you don't affirm, if it's not affirmation therapy and if the parents don't affirm it as well, the state can step in. Mm. And so they were actually in court about this. So now, you know, and, th and this happened before the, the recent attack in London, in London, Ontario, um, you know, where the guy ran over four people. But now that, that's going to cause some aneurysms in, in the social justice world because it's, okay, do we protect the minority rights or is it trans rights or like, what's going on there? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, what, one of the, the activists who, who, who tried to make um, a lot of lawsuits against um, people of minority, minority religion, particularly um, Muslims who didn't want to wax um, her scrotum <laughs> because yeah. of beliefs you know against um th this this caused a problem now that particular individual whose whose name i can't bring to to mind at the moment was, uh, wasn't a typical Je um, Jessica critical social that's Jessica, the one yeah. now that she she wasn't a, a, a typical critical social justice activist she she was quite openly um, hostile to racial and religious minorities and, and also perhaps not very mentally well. But that does present a genuine problem um, for a lot of people. If you've got um, people with socially conservative beliefs who have got those from a, mon a minority religion, and these are coming up against very, um, I want to say liberal, but I don't mean 
liberal in that sort of equal sense. I mean, in that sort of liberation, se sexual liberation sense, mm -hmm. they're not going to agree um, with with that. They're not going to agree with liberal LGBT activism, and they're not going to agree with CSJ LGBT activism. And so we we have this conflict. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't want to kind of stick with this too much, but so going forward, because I guess I mentioned you guys have done a year so far. So going forward, what are you, what are you hoping for? I know you've mentioned some of the books and things like that, but what are you like personally hoping for, for counterweight? Cause I mean, technically, you know, it would almost be that you, you make yourself redundant because if you help push back and if you help make people self-sufficient enough, then there won't really be a need for you. But like, where do you kind of see yourself going with this? Okay. I, I, I'll answer first and then I'll, I'll leave it to, to everybody else because I, I would say, yes, we really want to make ourselves redundant on the critical social justice front, but we're um, essentially a liberal humanist organization. So the fact is that, humans really aren't that liberal humanist so there is always going to be um some form of a liberalism to fight and i i think we'll always be fighting it yeah yeah and on the content side so as we we talked earlier about the educational platform that we want to develop um it isn't strictly focused on csj ideology it's helping people to restore liberal values uh, to their organizations or within themselves i think that's the wider goal yeah um, and yeah, and, and as I say, because we produce a variety of different types of content, it doesn't have to be restricted to CSJ ideology. Um, so long as we're helping to instill liberalism, yeah, within people's minds, hearts, and organizations, mm -hmm. I'm yeah happy. No, but with like with the curriculum or like the school content, I don't want to call it a cur curriculum, but that's one of the issues, especially in the states. I mean, even like even here in Canada, um, I don't know about the UK, but. The, there's there is no alternative being offered like i mean this stuff is pretty much what's coming out and that's what's being offered in curriculums i mean there's there i'm not saying it's completely ubiquitous but you see more and more of it so if you actually have something else to offer to someone instead of just saying don't do this but you know you're not giving them anything else like you know it's like is that is that also kind of what you're hoping for or what are you trying to do with that you mean do you mean are we hoping to create an entire curriculum i i don't know if you want to say an entire curriculum but at least like a maybe like even a framework so if someone wants to try to do something on their own or someone's like because i mean i know in the U u.s like homeschooling is going bigger um especially like after uh like you know, the school was shut down for almost a year last year, like with the pandemic and everything. So people are looking at more like homeschooling and stuff like that. So like not even necessarily a curriculum, but like a framework for a curriculum or something saying, this is something, this is how you can build something for yourself or something like that. Or It's certainly like an ambitious long-term goal that we'd like to aim at for sure. I think we're, we're starting with um, fundamentally like liberal courses that focus on that are applicable to a broad range of people. Um, mostly adults at an initial level, but yeah. we also do recognise the need for more materials for for young children, especially those who are being homeschooled. And that's certainly something that we want to branch out into. Yeah, I mean, so what we've got already is um, Wink, Wink and Den, right, have already kind of written two, which are essentially actually curriculums, one of them. Um, it goes through curriculums that already exist or um, reading guides that already exist. 
and it provides alternatives. One of them is really comprehensive. One of the things, I mean, they've already done this, right? So it's not in the future, but one of them is extremely comprehensive. Um, it gives so many readings and questions, um, discussion questions, everything like that. Um, yeah, but in terms of the educational platform, because of our resources, right? Like we're not making really, really long um, courses. They're, they're going to be at the moment, like four hours, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and at the moment they're for adults so we do want to do things for universities and for children but they would probably be quite restricted in their focus so in terms of like you know if people were looking for whole other syllabuses like long term if we could do that that would be great yeah that would be great um but it would require quite a lot of like thought you know in terms of yeah. they need to know if they need a whole new syllabus so the um, reason that we've taken this approach as well is you know ultimately we want to produce educational resources that are actually worthwhile and have, have had a a deep amount of thought and energy and research put into them mm. so we're restricting our focus so that we can produce some like a small amount of courses that are really going to help people and and they generalize right so like we're doing restricted content like short courses but we're doing them on things that will generalize so let's say you at your school you have a syllabus which is pretty terrible and it's presenting you with things that are definitely not facts and it's presenting them to you as facts. So we're doing stuff on critical thinking, we're doing stuff on viewpoint diversity. So that would generalize. So even though they're small courses, if people were to do them, they can go and have the actual syllabus that they're being taught and then they can know how to test whether or not um, there's sufficient evidence for the claims that their teachers are giving them. They can know how to read text so we might do ones on scientific thinking so they can know whether if they're being presented with one study whether or not it means anything or if it's been replicated or if the sample size was correct all of that kind of stuff so if yeah so if we do restricted stuff it can generalize i think that's the hope we want to do the really really important stuff that will help people when they're learning other syllabuses that might not be like that might be a bit dodgy <laughs> okay yeah. te teaching people how to think about yeah. the whatever it is they're getting which can be ap applied more broadly. And I think that's something that's very much needed. Obviously, my, my focus is more specific. So we have a, an incredibly long essay entitled How to Be Not Racist, in which we is essentially take issue with um, uh, Ibram X. Kendi and, and argue for it being perfectly possible for a person to reject racist ideas. And in fact, they should do so. And if they have difficulty doing so, there are measures in which can help them do so. And of course, that we've also got the young adult version of cynical theories um, is going to be coming out in the, the autumn, which we hope to um, interest schools in as a kind of counter view. And, and it's, it's done its best to be charitable to critical social justice ideas, but point out the flaws in them. So I, I hope that some schools at least will present this alongside um, some of the other the texts which are, are arguing for critical social justice ideas. Okay, great. Kev, how about yourself? What are you hoping to get done in, at least in the next year? Um, I'm looking forward to working on all the content that we have planned. I think most of it's all been listed already. Um, I also am planning a, a redesign of the website that, that should be, I mean, I didn't rush the website when we started, but I didn't exactly put as much love into it as I would have liked to. So I plan on doing a redesign of the website to make everything a lot better looking and a lot more accessible. And um, and then mostly just working on content that, that everybody's already talked about. 
Kevin, I'm afraid, tends to hide his light under a bushel, and I am one of the few people <laughs> who has seen his writing, and he's going to be central to this book on um, critical thinking and liberal reasoning. I very much want ladies to introduce him to James Petz because he and J James Petz is, is like um, Kevin on steroids. <laughs> so I, I think <laughs> they would get together really well and, and try and actually you know, teach people how to reason again. So I'm, I'm quite excited about this book that I hope to write with Kevin, but which is going to mostly um, rely on his um, liberal ethical reasoning, which is, um, which is very uh, rigorous. We, we call him the, the head Vulcan for a reason. <laughs> Thanks. And Jen, for yourself, what do you have going for the next year on with with Counterweight? Well, I'm looking forward to contributing to the Counterweight Handbook. I'm excited about that, and I just want to keep growing the community so that nobody who's experiencing this um, sort of incursion to their life from critical social justice has to go through it alone. I want the volunteers to be there for them, and I want the community to um, become close and to be able to be there for each other. Okay, great. Thanks. Well, I think that was great. Um, unless you, if you guys have any last words, I'll let you go. If you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you, get a hold of Counterweight, go ahead. I'll put the links down. Yeah, brilliant. Please um, find us at counterweightsupport.com. <laughs> okay, awesome. And if they want to get a hold of you, like for help or anything like that, it's from the same site, right? Yeah, there's a contact form on the site, or it is info at counterweightsupport.com. Awesome. And well, if you're a budding uh, content contributor and you'd like to write for us, uh, visit the Write for Us section on the website and just give us, drop us a message. We're always looking for new, exciting content. Awesome. Well, thank you all so very much and keep up the good work. It was good talking to you. And thanks everyone else for listening and I'll be back.